This is the latest edition of Return to Reason with Leon Fontaine, where knowledge, common sense, and wisdom intersect. With a high value of people and their right to think for themselves, Return to Reason endeavors to present the whole story so that you can make fully informed, wise decisions and bring positive change to your life, community, and to the nation. And now, here's Leon Fontaine. Safety. Securing the future. Doing your part. Back to normal. We've been overserved with these political, now meaningless terms over the last few months. Is it anything more than lip service? Well, don't be fooled. A culture of freedom is very fragile. I believe it is the public's right to hear truth. It's more vital than ever that you are aware of what political strategies, simply misguided or downright evil, they erode everyone's individual liberties. And under the false umbrella of for the greater good, if the government protects us from COVID at all costs, who protects us from the government? Today on Return to Reason with Leon Fontaine, an assault on your freedom. Vaccine passports. This buzzworthy phrase has become a lightning rod that challenges the fundamentals of choice. In the context of COVID, we often hear it paired with remarks like keeping society safe and returning to normal life. Well, today, I'm going to present some underreported facts that are being deliberately left out of the politically trendy narrative. I believe the censorship, cancel culture, and dismissive attitude towards select scientific data and pharmaceutical treatments is an ethics violation and speaks to a much larger problem than COVID itself. In today's landscape, the broad term vaccine passport refers to a form of documentation, digital or paper, to prove one's COVID-19 vaccination status. A decade ago, these kinds of authoritarian terms would have been laughed out of Parliament. Now they have a certain cachet. Even a few months ago, governments that called them discriminatory are now promoting them with enthusiasm. What happened? Where is Canada headed? Before I get into the meat of the discussion today, I'd ask you to be mindful of this. Everyone is forced to make decisions every day. We can only do this based on the information that we have on hand. But if new information comes to light and we choose not to acknowledge it, that's a shift from just a decision to a staunch opinion rooted in pride. A proverb of old says, pride comes before destruction. Calling these items passports is even an assault on that term. These are not a mark of one's citizenship or rights. They are the exact opposite. They are tools used to police people's personal choices and push them into the desired behavior. Canadian lawyer Ryan O'Connor, he explained it this way. It's giving the government the power to do something out the back door that it could never do out the front door. In a few minutes, we'll be hearing from a litigation attorney who clearly outlines what parts of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms these passes violate. But no matter what your opinion is on the vaccines themselves, let's call a spade a spade. A restriction of access to certain venues is bold-faced coercion to get the COVID shot. 
It reeks of desperation and deception. We have to wake up. Any way you slice it, it's an assault on your freedom. I don't want to go down a spiral debate about the ingredients or side effects of the COVID shots themselves at all today. That's not the topic. I want to wake Canadians up to the fact that implementing this kind of prove-yourself system is an infringement on privacy and constitutional rights. It's government overreach. It's a new form of segregation, and it's definitely a form of control. We need to realize that governments do not award human rights. Human value is a God-given right. It's the government's job to protect these God-given rights and freedoms. Frederick Myers, an Ontario judge, said, Our rights are never more fragile than in times of national emergency. I am absolutely fired up about this because I don't think we're being told all the accurate information about this national emergency. This pandemic has been a swirl of hysteria and daily fear-mongering like we've never seen before. In this contemporary age, when most universities go to great lengths to boast diversity and inclusion, it's ironic that they are willing to deny education to a group of students based on a personal choice. Seems like a step backward more so than progressive, doesn't it? Israel was the first country to introduce the Green Pass initiative as early as February. In June, authorities decided to scrap the model. However, due to a recent spike, the Green Pass was reintroduced in early September. Most countries in the European Union are doing some form of the European COVID Digital Certificate, or accepting the EUDCC to streamline the process for travelers and residents. Most European countries are honoring recovery from COVID as one form of acquiring SAFE as their status. Greece has an additional strategy, the Freedom Pass, aimed to encourage vaccination among 18 to 25-year-olds. Although Spain remains without a national proof of vaccination system, two smaller regions within the country have implemented it. The UK was criticized for threatening the passports to increase vaccine uptake, but ultimately decided not to implement. Other restrictions and precautions remain in place in the UK, where the vaccination rate is around 65%. We've looked at it properly, and whilst we should keep it in reserve as a potential option, I'm pleased to say that we will not be going ahead with plans for vaccine passports. Moscow is the only major urban centre to impose a rare glove mandate, in addition to showing a QR code to enter indoor venues, but later lifted these measures. Russia's vaccine mandate is similar in scope to the USA, where the onus is put on business owners to strongly encourage employees to get the jab. Indonesia, Micronesia and Turkmenistan have blanket national vaccine mandates. Australia plans to adjust lockdowns and harsh restrictions sometime in October after reaching a minimum of 70% vaccinated. Part of this process will be the rollout of their now more robust vaccine passport system, which includes a venue check-in style surveillance tool all built into one. Wow, and headlines from Australia boast a desired vaccinated economy that will lock out the unvaccinated. Canadians, if you think this is a temporary measure with no repercussions or just a necessary evil, think again. Governments could choose to move forward in a wise way that honors health, safety, and security of persons. Or they can take an illegal, discriminatory, forcible stance that citizens are not soon going to forget.
this open war on everybody on anybody who is taking a wait and see approach, uh, and they want more information because, simply put, they they feel like they don't have enough information. They are not capable of providing informed consent. There are implications for Section 2A of the Charter, which is the protection for freedom of conscience and religion. There is clearly uh, implications for Section 7, which is your right to security of the person. Uh, Section 15 of the Charter guarantees your equality rights. And uh, from our perspective, we say that there is clearly a new identifiable group in society because of these mandates. And that is the people who uh, are taking a wait and see approach with respect to getting the COVID-19 vaccine. But one of the problems, of course, is that there is no sunset clause in these provisions. And so how many of these shots are you going to be required to take? Is it one? Is it two? Is it five? Is it 10? And there's no answer to that right now from the medical community because they're, uh, you know, they're just saying you have to get it. Uh, but, you know, we know that there's been talk of boosters in the U.S. The CDC has said that uh, there won't be boosters for those underneath uh, under 60 years of age. And uh, we know some there's been some concerning studies regarding the vaccines uh, themselves and their efficacy. So some of the implications that go into uh, whether or not this is justified are the considerations of COVID itself. And uh, what we say is that the government is proceeding from a place of intellectual dishonesty in the entire conversation and has been uh, for some time. And that's because most people are not at risk from COVID. If you are healthy, if you're under the age of 60 years old, you should be more worried about getting into your car and driving to the grocery store than you are of COVID. Further to this, several provinces had neglected to put in a medical exemption clause to their proof of vaccination orders. In mid-August, the Canadian Constitution Foundation formally wrote to the Manitoba government about this, and a month later, the government announced that it would be developing a medical exemption process and expected it to be detailed in the coming weeks. Here's litigation director Christine Van Gyne with some details on what kinds of scenarios people are facing. I have spoken to people who have had in the past anaphylactic reactions to other vaccines and they don't know what it was about that other vaccine that caused the reaction. I've also spoken to people with blood clotting disorders, with autoimmune disorders, or with pre-existing heart conditions like a pre-existing heart inflammation. Now for these patients, the vaccine is a higher risk choice than it is for healthy people. And for many of them, COVID may also pose a higher risk than it would for a healthy person. So this is a really difficult trade-off for a lot of these patients to make. And the decision for them is deeply personal. The patient who I spoke to who developed brachial neuritis was advised by public health to get a second dose. Even though she's now pregnant, her neurologist and family doctor have told her not to get the second dose. And they're worried that the second dose could even cause nerve damage, including nerve damage that might harm her unborn baby. So she quite understandably prefers to follow the advice of her primary care providers and not the advice of public health. I think that this disconnect matters because if we're talking about creating medical exemptions, which Ontario says they will be doing, we need to allow those exemptions on the basis of the advice of primary care providers and not on the basis of public health investigations. Because public health seems to have a very troubling lack of empathy for individual patients and complex and nuanced individual circumstances. These are real people whose lives and livelihoods hang in the balance until some government 
government bureaucrat decides to look at these things objectively. People will miss funerals, weddings, and time with loved ones because of the inability to freely exist in society, let alone travel. Danielle Smith, podcaster and former leader of the Wild Rose Party of Alberta, made this observation. When does this end? From what I could tell, never. There is no end date. As long as there are variants, this will be the requirement. She makes a great point in regards to the vaccine mandate on domestic air travel. The government did not even make a half-hearted attempt to promise that these mandates will be repealed when we were supposedly beaten COVID or gotten through the fourth wave. Instead, the cabinet ministers kept repeating themselves, all travelers should feel safe to fly within Canada. Unfortunately, the point they are making is lacking a lot of truth. Yes, everyone would rather feel safe than in danger, but it is a scientific fact released by the manufacturers themselves that COVID vaccinations are not considered to be a tool to eliminate the virus or a state of infection. Rather, it guards the persons against severe disease because it theoretically speeds up your immune system response to a familiar spike protein. Benjamin Franklin is quoted with multiple versions of this sentiment. Those who would trade liberty for some temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety and will lose both. The jury is still out on how much vaccination actually lessens infectious transmission. In fact, that question may never be answered with certainty as much of the scientific community does not agree. Just because you are fully vaccinated doesn't mean you could never test positive for COVID. In fact, you're more likely to be asymptomatic and have no idea. Think about that next time you're squeezed next to a stranger on a plane. Again, much of the media has spun false claims that vaccine passports create safe spaces, so much so that a large portion of the general public believes the vaccines are a real ticket to safety, or as it is more commonly echoed, the way out of this pandemic. A lot of things about the vaccine passports don't seem to pass the common sense test. Here's just a few. What about an exemption for individuals who have recovered from COVID? Many peer-reviewed medical journals conclude natural immune memory is much broader and more long-lasting than the vaccinated only. What about the logistical challenge of training the 19-year-old hostess at the local restaurant to be able to fully enforce and implement this legislation? If this restricts some people the way it's intended to, what about the inevitable demand to create and sell false documents? What about the considerable divulgence of private health information? It's like suddenly privacy is something we shouldn't mind giving up freely. Does any of this matter? Is it really about creating safe spaces? Or is there another agenda it's meant to accomplish? You see, many in power have been counting on the public's reaction to steer this narrative in the direction they want. If they can play to your feelings, they can estimate your compliance. Press conferences about the ICU bed count is without a doubt an exercise in scaring the hell out of Canadians. Wear this, take this, stay here, do this, fear, fear, fear.
David Redman has been asking government, both provincial and federal, to reconsider their action plans since April 2020. Yes, for over a year. Redman is a former executive director of the Alberta Emergency Management Agency. Before that, he spent over 25 years in the military, retiring as a lieutenant colonel with vast experience in logistics. In any situation where the public is involved, Fear in a democracy is an unconscionable tool to use. It is not only wrong, uh, simply because the, you don't ever want people to be afraid, but confidence in government is paramount in the middle of an emergency. And you do that by writing a plan, presenting the plan to the public, showing how they can interact with the plan, how they can send feedback, and making sure they understand their role in the plan. Out of the 15 non-pharmaceutical interventions, ones that we've come to know are closure of business, closure of schools, isolation of people that have been exposed, all three of those strongly recommended against in a pandemic of this nature. Why? Because it was known from previous pandemics that those measures have no significant impact on the spread of a viral disease. Rights and freedoms aren't, aren't blanket. You, you don't just get them. They have to be um, uh, put in place. And if you can demonstrably justify limiting a freedom for a specific period of time for a specific reason, the Oaks test is the test. It, you have to produce evidence and present it to the public why you are going to limit that freedom for a very short and specific period of time to overcome something. And you have to prove in the Oaks test that by limiting the freedom, you will do less damage than if the freedom was allowed to exist. You stop fear by every night telling people why they shouldn't be afraid as opposed to what we've done, which is why they should. So to me, my life and my background taught me and my children that number one, Canada is a special place. And number two, you never give up your charter rights and freedoms because we saw many countries where they didn't exist and you didn't want to live there. Regardless if it was the right way or wrong way to handle it, it happened. Here we are in late 2021 and still going to great lengths to accommodate a virus with a survival rate of over 99%. Why do we expect the herd of Canadians to agree on these issues? The continual dialogue is the whole merit of science. If everything was final, how would new discoveries be made? It's a testing of hypothesis. It's a debating of rationale and finding sufficient evidence to meet the burden of proof. It's not only doctors who disagree on public health measures, but even immunologists and vaccinologists, people who have devoted their entire professional careers to the designing of safe vaccines. Even they cannot agree with what governments around the world are doing to their citizens. Here's Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of mRNA vaccine technology. Even if we had 100% vaccine uptake, we would not be able to stop the spread of the virus through the U.S. population. We would slow it. In my opinion, they've saved a lot of lives and they're very appropriate at this point in time. The risk-benefit favors their administration to the elderly and the high-risk populations. The press is very glad to make a point that right now we're having more of a red state outbreak and associating that with uh, vaccine uptake or vaccine hesitancy. If we're 
willing to look the data in the face, we may have to re-examine some of those assumptions that, that uh, this may not have been as much a function of uh, vaccine um, compliance, but rather some fundamentals of the underlying uh, viral epidemiology and spread. The logic that supports mandatory vaccination to protect the population, to mitigate the risk of uh, infection and economic disruption in the workplace or elsewhere, that's no longer tenable. The vaccinated as well as the unvaccinated create risk of infection and spread. I find the mandate logic to be a divisive, authoritarian, impractical, and unnecessary. It, it, it creates a situation in which we are forcing the um, fundamental ethical conundrum of the rights of the collective versus the rights of the individual into a, an already inflamed political situation. And, uh, and I don't see how it gets us where we want to go. It seems likely that we'll have to learn to live with COVID, just like influenza, the flus, chickenpox, and other diseases. Ask yourself and your political representatives this. Why has there not been an overwhelming public health narrative about maintaining a healthy lifestyle, reducing toxicity, exercising, in other words, the mental-physical connection? Or how about a massive re-education on good hygiene habits and taking necessary vitamins? I mean, vitamin D deficiency alone has been linked to death and severe outcomes. People make all kinds of personal health and lifestyle decisions every day, some of which affect others. Take smoking cigarettes, for example. Tobacco products kill an estimated 48,000 Canadians every year, and that includes those exposed to secondhand smoke. And yet we let everyone in society make their own choice about this behavior in their private homes and vehicles. It's only been in the last 15 years or so that smoking was banned from nightclubs, casinos, and restaurants. Okay, that's nearly 50,000 every year, whereas COVID deaths are currently around 28,000 in Canada. And that's a combination of with COVID and from COVID. It's very disheartening that the narrative around COVID has been so narrowly focused. It speaks to a distrust in the people. Those in charge don't think we're worthy of solving a complex problem on our own. So they must dumb it down for us and only offer one seemingly moral option. I'll say it again, vaccine passports are an assault on your freedom, period, regardless of your vaccination status. It is this demeaning, self-righteous culture of those in power that makes the whole discussion of vaccine passports feel rotten. It's a further chokehold on businesses and the economy. It's a misrepresentation of the facts to push an agenda. It's self-serving and just 10 years ago would have been unimaginable. Grassroots organizations against traditional vaccines have been around for decades, but lumping thousands of qualified professionals, scientists, and doctors who disagree into a radical anti-vax camp for the sole purpose of discrediting them has been widely exploited for political gain. Dr. Martin Kuhldorf, Harvard School of Medicine professor, member of advisory committees for both the CDC and the FDA, 
made these stunning remarks when he sat down with the producers of American Thought Leaders. I've been working on vaccines for almost two decades now. And one thing that we've always sort of tried to do is to maintain good confidence in vaccines. For example, measles vaccines are very important, polio vaccines and so on. And there is a small group of people who are very vocal uh, who don't like vaccines, but they haven't really been able to put any dent in the confidence in vaccines. Right now, with these vaccine mandates and vaccine passports, that curse of things is turning a lot of people away against vaccines, not trusting them. Uh, for very understandable reasons. Because why do you have to force somebody to take the vaccine if it's so beneficial to you? That's sort of one rationale. So uh, uh, those who are pushing these vaccine mandates and vaccine passports, uh, those sort of vaccine fanatics, I would call them, to me, they have done much more damage during this one year than the uh, anti-vaxxers has done in two decades. And I would even say that uh, these vaccine fanatics, they are the biggest anti-vaxxers uh, that we have right now. They're doing so much more damage to vaccine confidence than uh, anybody else. So even if, if it manages to get those people to take the COVID vaccine, it will turn them off from public health. It will make them distrust public health and turn them off from other vaccines that are not mandatory. I want to clearly state that I'm not trying to convince you or dissuade you from taking the COVID-19 vaccines. Today, I am on a mission to wake you up to the reality that proof of vaccination programs are restrictive, divisive tools that the government is using to manipulate its citizens. It's medical bullying. It's a surgical removal of your choices in how to live your own life. It undermines the very concept of the doctor-patient relationship, which is intended to achieve the patient's best health outcomes. Those who didn't grow up in the Western world often have a different perspective and appreciation for freedom. A family physician who was born in Uganda and immigrated to Canada from South Africa shares his perspective, and I quote, what I've learned from living in Canada for more than 10 years is that people live in fear, but they don't necessarily live in danger. So the government seems to use fear as a weapon of control. Is COVID causing problems? 100%. The most disruptive thing in human history is and always will be contagious diseases. But I'm not a fan of mandates on vaccinations. Individuals have to make an informed choice. If people turn to government for everything, then the government grows in power and the people grow in dependency. Do not let your freedom be chiseled away under the guise of back to normal and for everyone's safety. Vaccine passports are a slippery slope, the depths of which are uncomfortable to even imagine. But consider this, the power of a passport system lies in the public's acceptance of it. So where do we go from here? Well, if you care about this great nation, you owe it to your future and the upcoming generations to do whatever you can to point the needle towards true north again. If we have to inch our way towards unity, so be it. If we can take wise, purposeful steps to return to the fundamentals on which the country was founded, we might be able to imagine a future where Canada belongs to Canadians again. 
Many prominent influencers have told me time and time again that calling your members of parliament and MLAs is the best way to have your voice heard. This may require a good deal of effort on your part. My challenge to you today is do something. It's not difficult to find phone numbers for elected officials online. Reach out in whatever way you can. Let your opinions be known in a peaceful, polite, but uncompromising way. Think of it from their perspective for a moment. They rely on input from constituents. If all they ever hear is radio silence or emotional, radical extremists, the decisions they make will not accurately reflect the will of the majority. You don't have to be an eloquent wordsmith or hold a PhD. Just be brave, honest, and be yourself. If the opportunity presents itself, engage in conversation with friends about this topic and share this show. We'll be continuing this discussion in future episodes. Don't let your complacency unintentionally drift into compliance. Don't let the guilt, confusion, and the unbridled aggression in the public square deter you from an unquenchable search for truth and wisdom. We have to remain strong, steadfast, and persistent in the pursuit of a society that is open to all. Let's all return to reason. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv. There, you can also find out more about Leon, his books, and his other media series. You can help us grow this podcast by rating, reviewing, sharing this episode with a friend, or subscribing. Still want more? Follow Leon Fontaine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a suggestion for the show or would like the reference material for this episode, use the link in the show notes.